the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome in on this Thursday edition of Lifeline for the 17th day of March. Should have played a bit of... uh, I don't know, a little bit of St. Patrick's-style music here this morning. Maybe a little Bing Crosby doing Tura-Lura-Lura. We'll figure that out. <laughs> any rate, to all of our uh, Irish listeners in the audience, a very happy St. Patty's Day to you. And the wearing of the green and all of that. And uh, I, of course, am the leprechaun behind the microphone, Craig Roberts, with uh, a lot on the agenda today. So we're going to just dive right in. You've been... Paying attention to the news lately, certainly there seems to be growing signs that aspects of the pandemic may be finally starting to wane. A new poll, in fact, showing that most Americans no longer worry about getting sick with COVID-19. A new YouGov poll shows some 56% of those surveyed are not worried or not too worried at all about getting the virus. About 44% are still somewhat or very worried that they'll get COVID and maybe... Maybe with just cause, as new CDC data is suggesting there will be a rise in COVID-19 cases in the United States. We have seen the appearance of the so-called BA2 variant in Europe. WHO information indicating that some 29% of the Western Pacific region now has the presence of BA2 and 2% in Europe. That number is climbing. So, what to make of all of this, and most importantly, how do we respond? Professor John Schwartzberg join us, clinical professor emeritus at UC Berkeley, Professor Emeriti Academy, the School of Public Health, Division of Infectious Diseases and Vaccinology, chair of the editorial board, the UC Berkeley Health and Wellness Publications. And Professor Schwartzberg, thanks so much for um, being with us and, again, providing some perspective. So as much as we got very enthusiastic within just the last few weeks that finally it seems as if as the weather is changing, we'll go back outside and begin to um, finally maybe put the chapter called COVID behind us when new data seeming to suggest that we're not quite done with this yet. Tell us what's going on. Sure, and thank you for inviting me to be on your show. Well, first of all, I, like everybody else, am celebrating this tremendous decline in the number of people getting infected with this virus, the number of people getting sick, hospitalized, and tragically, the number of people dying. It's been a really rough winter, December and January, and things have gotten better in February and much better this month. So it's wonderful to see this. What I am concerned about is that um, nobody can predict the future, but I am concerned that this may not be too long-lived, these good days that we're having right now. The reason why there's concern is both outside of the United States and inside of the United States. 
outside of the United States, we're seeing the virus surge in Western Europe, especially the United Kingdom, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy. All of them are seeing a dramatic increase in the number of cases. And a lot of these are due to this BA2 that you mentioned, this subvariant of Omicron that's about 30% more transmissible. So we are seeing Western Europe going in the wrong direction. We're also seeing Asia going in the wrong direction. Hong Kong, I think most of your listeners probably are aware of, is just being devastated with COVID. They're having more people die in one day than they had throughout the entire pandemic up till now. So it's a terrible experience they're having. China's having their first big surge. Taiwan, South um, South Korea, Singapore, and so on. So um, all over the world, we're seeing spot in spots really serious rises in cases. And this last week, for the first time in about five weeks, we've seen an increase in the worldwide number of cases. So we're going in the wrong direction outside of the shores of North America. Inside of North America, inside of our country, there's some warning signs as well. One is that we know there's waning immunity to the vaccines that we've had, and we know there's waning immunity to having previously had COVID. So that's worrisome that we're not as immune as we need to be if we encounter uh, more virus. The second thing is that the, uh, there's waning prevention. People are not being as careful as they need to be in terms of avoiding getting infected. So many people, as you mentioned early, earlier, so many people are, have decided the pandemic is over and acting accordingly. And the final thing is that BA2, that subvariant you and I were talking about, is now increasing here in the United States. It seems to be doubling about every one week. So three weeks ago, we were at about 6% of all the isolates. Last week, it was about 12%. Tuesday, yesterday, it was 23%. If this continues, within less than two weeks, BA2 is going to be the dominant uh, type of Omicron circulating. Remember, that's 30% more transmissible. And then the wastewater analysis that we've been doing is showing that in the wastewater, there's signs that in almost 40% of the um, sites surveyed around the United States, there's increasing amount of evidence of the virus. And that usually portends an increase in cases anywhere from a week to several weeks later. So when you mix all these things together, it's going on outside of the shores of the United States and internally. No one, can, Although no one can predict the future, there's really reason for concern. Let me ask you this, Professor, in light of the survey that I referred to earlier and that sense that Americans are feeling more confident, others might characterize it as letting our guard down. Is this because subsequent mutations of COVID have been less dangerous than previous ones? Or are we really looking at the positive impact of the vaccine? Well, that's a very good question. And no, this, this particular variant, Omicron and BA2, they actually cause a little less severe disease than Delta did. Delta was the variant that caused that terrible summer surge we just had last summer in, in early fall. So no, it doesn't make us sicker. It makes us a little less sick. But because it's so much more transmissible than anything we've encountered, 
so many more people are getting infected. So the absolute numbers of people getting sick and dying are much higher than anything we've seen. So there's good news, bad news here. But it's not due to the fact that this virus is more what we call virulent or makes us sicker. Before we wrap up today, I want you to take a moment and and address an issue. Uh, We have virtually since the vaccines were first made available, but pretty near a year ago, um, heard all kinds of over-the-top illogical conspiracy theories that ranges from, well, the vaccine is dangerous because it contains tracking chips, or there are magnetic particles in the vaccine, or um, we see a high death rate not because of COVID, but because of the COVID vaccine. There hasn't been long enough time to try and practically uh, test this to uh, to demonstrate just how um, not only efficacious it is, but also how safe it is. When you hear these kind of remarks from people, from a professional standpoint, you've spent your life studying this and teaching this. How do you respond to people that come up with these kinds of of oftentimes uh, Sasquatch, Bigfoot is hiding underneath my desk type stories? Yes, I, I can tell you that internally how I respond is it breaks my heart because it's not like these people want to be deceived or want to deceive others. It's that they believe what they hear. And it just breaks my heart that they're getting this misinformation and disinformation and acting on it. And acting on it means they don't get vaccinated. And it's our best tool to keep you out of the hospital and keep you from dying and keep you from spreading it to other people, particularly the people around you, your loved ones. So internally, it breaks my heart. What I try and talk about is not so much the facts, but just try to give enough information to say that, you know, there's another story here, and this story is based upon what we've studied so carefully, and that no one has the intention of trying to harm you. We're trying to make people safe and protect you. And so that's the best approach, but it's, it's really an uphill battle against a lot of the disinformation and misinformation, and it is heartbreaking. And indeed, and and sad when people choose to uh, trust sources like uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc., etc., and folks with pure political agendas in order to uh, promote this misinformation as opposed to being reliant upon medical doctors. You know the old adage, if you need an attorney, don't try to be one, go find one. If you need a doctor, go find a doctor, rely on the experts. At the end of the day, failure to do so could have devastating and eternal consequences. Professor John Schwartzberg, clinical professor emeritus, UC Berkeley, with an update on the current status of coronavirus. Much to celebrate at this point, but we are clearly not out of the woods yet. So be cautious. Don't let your guard down. Do the right thing. If you don't do it for yourself and your children, do it for others. But just do it. 516 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. You know the old adage, what the big print giveth, the little print taketh away? Kind of applies in this case. Proposition 13 passed way back in 1978, literally has saved tens of hundreds of thousands, millions of Californians from the possibility of losing their homes, particularly as they grow older in life and try to manage living in an expensive state on a fixed income, being able to have some 
limitations and controls over the increase in property taxes has literally been a lifesaver. And yet as important as that has been, so too the legacy, the ability of a parent to pass on property to a child or a grandparent to a grandchild and preserve that tax basis that's allowed families to keep their homes. But in the fall of 2020, Californians went to the ballot box to vote on behalf of the proposition that taketh away, Prop 19, ill-conceived, badly worded, and principally promoted by the California Board of Realtors. And with all due respect to my realtor friends in the audience, my dad was a real estate broker for over 55 years. Respect all of you. But this was dirty pool. This was nothing more than a means to try and change the law in California. Give a little something with a sense of, oh, you'll get Proposition 13 tax basis portability. If you buy a home or sell a home in one county and move it to another one, it would require every county across all 58 in California to respect that tax basis. Sounds like you're doing a nice thing and failed to articulately explain to voters that, oh, by the way, that legacy benefit that allows a parent to pass on to a child or a grandparent to a grandchild, we're going to take that away. And, of course, the result is initiating all kinds of pieces of real estate up for sale. The real beneficiaries of Prop 19, therefore, are not Californians or California families, but California real estate agents. Now trying to correct this wrong are our friends at the Harvard, Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. Communications Director Susan Shelley joins us now. And Susan, all I can say is it's about time. We watched this thing go into effect in February of last year, and I shudder at the thought of how many families have literally been forced to sell family homes because they just simply couldn't afford the new tax basis. Well, you are exactly right, Craig, and you explained that just perfectly. That's exactly what happened. In, in 1978, Prop 13 passed, and it put a cap on how much the assessed value of property could rise while it was under the same ownership. But by 1986, as children were inheriting property and inflation had pushed those prices up, the kids were being forced to sell the property they inherited. They could not afford to keep it. So by a unanimous vote, the legislature fixed it. The legislature put something on the ballot, imagine that, to give people a break. When property is transferred from parents to children, it would not be reassessed. And that was a home of any value, plus up to a million dollars of assessed value of other property, like a small business or a small apartment building that families had invested in. And that went on the ballot. It passed for 75% of the vote, and now it's gone. The parent-child transfer exclusion is gone with only limited exception, and that's because of Prop 19. So what we are going to do is put it back. This is the repealthedeathtax.com effort. That's where you can find it, repealthedeathtax.com. It's going to take a million and a half signatures by April 15th to get this on the ballot this year, on the November ballot. So people can get the petition, they can circulate it, they can pick it up in person or have it mailed to them. And that's all at repealthedeathtax.com. 
And, you know, the irony is uh, when you inherit a piece of real estate here in California, I suppose, in comparison to, uh, you know, Wyoming, it, it seems like a lot. Uh, but those of us that have lived in California our entire lives know that you can own a million-dollar piece of property, but if you walk through the house, you're the first to agree, yeah, I have an idea of what a million-dollar house looks like, and this isn't yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> that said, to think that at the federal level, <coughs> the the inheritance exclusion is over $11 million, and yet for somehow, in this punitive, greedy sense, largely promoted again by the California Board of Realtors, the notion of wanting to trigger all kinds of property sales across the state, when in many cases, and I include myself in this number, um, I, I was fortunate, I guess, in an awkward sense, uh, that the family property that I inherited went back to 2015, well before this debacle of a measure was voted by California voters into law. And so the ability to preserve that family legacy is there. And, you know, it's funny, Susan, like perhaps a lot of homeowners, I get offers and telephone calls, and now I'm even getting text messages about wanting to sell the family home. And I think, you know, there are so many memories in there. There are multiple generations of memories in that home. No, I have absolutely no intention of selling that home. It's not a case of, of, of greed. It's just simply because as long as I am still alive, I wish to preserve that property and preserve that property for future generations as well. And to think, to think that that could be stolen out from underneath my heirs, and I use the word stolen because, you know, if, if a gun is put to your head because you can't afford to pay $25,000, in property taxes every year once you see that step up in, in basis, um, it, it's just, in my mind, the equivalent of stealing money right out from the legacy of California families, and that's an absolute shame. And, and, and sadly, this language, I understand, in the original ballot measure was so ill conceived to the point where the legislature actually had to step in and make some corrections to address deficiencies both in language, ambiguities, contradictions, and other deficiencies, which says to me that the final resulting law looks nothing like what even Californians maybe think they actually voted for. It's a travesty. You're so right. And people did not talk about how this is going to affect apartments. Because something like 40 to 50 percent of all the rental units in California are owned by mom and pop landlords. Well, that means that when those properties are passed to their children, they will be reassessed to market value. In the Bay Area, in Los Angeles, in San Diego, that is an incredibly high tax increase. And if the buildings are under rent control, that business is not going to pencil out any longer. So what's going to happen? If the rents can't go up to cover the new costs, it's very likely that the businesses will be sold, the buildings will be sold, and those rental accommodations will be withdrawn from the market, which is another way of saying everybody gets evicted. And how does that help us? Well, this it, is it just doesn't. Outrageous. And you know, when you come in as a new owner, having inherited from a, a parent or a grandparent, uh, the fair ones will keep a reasonable cap on what those rents look like. 
But if suddenly a gun is put to your head and saying, okay, well, you don't get a chance to benefit the inheritance of that property tax value, we're going to, again, reassess to full market value, and therefore your property tax basis is going to be quadrupling, whatever the number might look like, uh, that oftentimes leaves a a mom-and-pop landlord just trying to build a financial legacy for future generations with no other choice but to, you guessed it, raise the rent, because that's the only way you can make it makes sense. So this is really a travesty at multiple levels. And to suggest that what it fixed, what it was promoted as was the portability of the tax rate if you sold in Stanislaus County and moved to San Mateo or vice versa, each county would have to respect the the, the um, preservation of that uh, previous tax rate. There were only a handful of counties that didn't respect that. Um, and and yet they use that as sort of the um, what's the word the the carrot the sweetener yeah yes. the carrot to, to to entice people to vote not recognizing that the real stick behind it was a significant increase in property tax values a way to motivate uh, folks to be forced essentially to sell even if they don't want to which of course generates income for uh, not only the state but for um, real estate brokers and salespeople and again I love real estate people dad was in the business for over 55 years, but this this was underhanded and dirty tomfoolery. It really was. Now, uh, repeat for me, if you would, Susan, wh- how, many, how many signatures are needed and by when? We need 1.5 million signatures to make sure that we have what we need. We need 997,000 and change that are valid. And we have to collect 1.5 million signatures of registered voters by April 15th. So wow. you can get the petition by mail and send it back to the Howard Jarvis office or drop it off at one of our locations for drop-off. And we are adding locations every day to make that easier. Because when we started this, the post office was slow. It didn't matter. But now the post office is slow. It matters a lot. So we're setting up as many locations as we can. If anyone has a business location that would like to be a pickup location or a drop-off location, they can just get in touch with us at the website repealthedeathtax.com. Excellent. And I want to urge you, jot that down, share it with friends, talk about it at church on Sunday, go to the website, repealthedeathtax.com, where you can uh, download the form, take it to church, get folks to sign it. This is a travesty. We need to correct this. Families shouldn't be punished this way. It makes no sense to have an $11 million inheritance tax exclusion and yet say to the average California parent or grandparent, sorry, you can't pass your home on and keep it in the family and keep the tax rate. We're going to punish you because you're in California. And that's a crying shame. Repealthedeathtax.com. Repealthedeathtax.com. We're going to be talking more about this in the coming days and weeks leading into uh, mid-April and the deadline. 1.5 million signatures are needed in order to have enough valid signatures to qualify to get this on the ballot so we can get it corrected. Repealthedeathtax.com. Once again, that's repealthedeathtax.com. If you are a parent or grandparent that owns California real estate and you thought, always prayed, felt it would be great to pass that legacy on to your grandchild or your child, then we need to get you signed up and be a part of the Army collecting these signatures so we can repeal the death tax. Again, repealthedeathtax.com. Our thanks to Susan Shelley, Director of Communications for the Howard Jarvis Taxpayers Association. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. As we talked earlier in relationship to feeling like there's an easing of the impact of COVID, even as there's continuing debate over um, everything from uh, where to when wear a mask, when not to wear a mask. Some school districts are saying it's up to the child to decide. Others are saying, no, we're going to continue to enforce a mask policy. If this isn't all confusing enough on the surface, let's add to it the fact that um, growing numbers of parents in our state are just dissatisfied overall with what's going on with public schools. And it's not just debates over masks and COVID. It gets down to scholastic performance. And oftentimes, parents who feel as if they train up their child with one set of values at home, only to have them completely contradicted when they get to school. California has been looking at the notion of providing choice, true choice for California parents. As we get more information now from Brian Hawkins, Brian, this is something we've talked about for many, many years off and on. There's been talk about we need to have a voucher program here in California. Some states like Minnesota actually engaged engaged one, did so quite successfully. But Californians just never, at at least at at the educational level in our state, just never seem to be entirely convinced. I just wonder how much evidence do we need that parents truly need to have the ability to vote with their feet? Absolutely. And I want to thank you for having me on. Uh, It's definitely definitely a crucial issue that should have been addressed. Um, You're talking about Brown versus the Board of Education, 1954. Uh, You look at the Title I funding uh, in public schools here in California. California is the sixth richest nation in the world. However, our public schools right now are ranked 43rd. That right there is a problem within itself. I mean, look at the grade, just grade California's public schools, we shouldn't be sitting at 43rd. We shouldn't be leading the nation in indoctrinating our children in education. We shouldn't be leading the nation in uh, over-sexualizing our children with, you know, gender uh, information. Kids are in middle school and elementary school. I mean, there's things that our children should be learning. I'm a pastor. I'm also an elected official, and I have children in school, and I'm afraid for what they're wanting to teach my children. And you said it right. The Bible says train up a child. It's unfortunately that when you train your child in the way that they should go, the school has a different direction on what they want to teach them. Absolutely. And, and, you know, when we add to that the confusion over the issue of gender dysphoria in recent years and now to the point where we're even trying to uh, force our children essentially to start exploring these issues at an age where, quite frankly, no child should even know how to spell the word sex. And yet it's it, it's being foisted upon them. I think California parents are feeling as if we're losing more and more control. We're spending more and more money and the outcomes, both scholastic and in terms of academic performance, let alone the issue of the, 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 the moral equation to which we've just spoken, uh, the, the, the outcomes are just not matching the investment here. And, and I have to wonder, in your opinion, Brian, how much of this is a result of, uh, quite frankly, uh, a lack of competition? I mean, if, if this were happening in any other sector in the business world and you ran a restaurant that consistently served cold food, food that had no, no taste whatsoever and people that got sick all the time, quickly folks would say, that's a bad restaurant. We're not going to take our business there anymore. We're going to go to the restaurant down the street where the food is good, warm, tasty, and doesn't make us sick. So if that works in the business world, why can't that work in the educational world? 
No, and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, in the 80s, you remember the Pepsi challenge? There were options. You know, in everything in life, you know, even Apple, they thought they had monopolized. You had Galaxy came out. You know, there's options. Even in football, sports, there's a first string and a second string and a third string. And when you got a second string that's really good, you look at a team and they'll draft a player. And, you know, maybe you're a star quarterback last year. Then the drafts come around and they go and draft a quarterback in the first round. You know, hey, I better go and perform. Right now, the public schools, they don't have a second. They don't have a second string. They don't have a third string. They, it's the public school, and that's it. And unfortunately, it's showing with adults now. You know, when you look at minority kids in California and even across the country, they're barely able to read and write above fourth grade proficiency. That's the reason why that TV show, Smarter Than the Fifth Grader, was such a success. They knew, looking at the data and the statistics, you know, those uh, executives on the TV show, they're smart. They looked and said, hey, public schools are failing. Let's capitalize off of it. We're going to come up with a show, and nobody's going to know that we're taking a shot at the public school system because we know 80% of the people who graduate from public school system can barely read or write. 75% of the guys that are in prison, incarcerated right now, our high school dropouts. You fix the public school system, you fix your incarceration. You fix the public school system, you fix how we are able to compete on a global scale. Right now, America, we're in danger. You're talking about, um, you know, genocide. The educational system is a mental genocide to the future of America. And, you know, folks used to get a chuckle when years ago, I would speak about the fact that there were a number of, for example, major car manufacturers in the Detroit area, Ford most notably, that would provide essentially remedial education classes for their employees who certainly had the capacity, the intelligence, the ability to uh, to work on the line and turn out a reliable product, but, you know, had a difficult time spelling. Uh, it weren't very good at math. Why? Because the Detroit school system just pushed them through, you know, just like another cog down the assembly line, get them in, get them out, move them on. And so in order to help their employees succeed at every aspect of life and ultimately uh, to, I think, Ford's benefit, become better employees, they used to provide remedial education at no cost to the employee simply because the Detroit public school system was failing so badly. And I think that story is demonstrative of the challenges we're now seeing here in California. And so the big question then is, okay, what to do about it and how quickly? There's been talk about getting a a school choice initiative uh, forward so that we can truly give parents the empowerment that they need so that, as my example earlier uh, suggested, if you don't like the food at that restaurant, go take your business somewhere else. Give us an update. Absolutely. And so parents can go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. You can go on and you can download the petition. We need a million signatures. Uh, Unfortunately, this has been, I mean, I understand the war in Ukraine right now. And, you know, I'm praying for the, you know, peace over in Europe. Uh, But we have a war here in the United States. We have a war here in California. And our children are in danger of being left behind on the battlefield of education. Go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. Download the petition. Get your friends to sign it. This is an opportunity to not only decide where, and I know it's called school choice. The reality of it is it's parent choice. Parents get to finally choose where they want to send their kids. That's number one. Number two is an educational savings account. That money is already there from the Title 98 uh, funds. 
It's already there. Um, it's $14,000 per student that can follow the child, not the school, not the unions, not the lawyers, but the child where the money is supposed to go. Parents can put them in a private school. Um, if they don't use the entire 14000 that money will roll over into an educational savings account. That money could be used for college or trade school, an accredited trade school. So now you have a solution to, you know, debt. You know, there's a lot of kids that start college and they don't have the money and they got to take out, you know, money and get loans. And next thing you know, you're talking about the school debt and you're hearing people asking Biden to counsel the school debt. Here is an opportunity to create an educational savings plan. So the problems, solution, school choice, the Educational Freedom Act, we can put this on the ballot here in California and the people, the people, right, can vote on it and change the California legislation and change the way in which the public schools operate. I guarantee you, we change this, you'll start seeing the reading scores, you'll start seeing the public schools look over their shoulders like, wow, we got to do something. And and that's a very important point, I think, uh, Brian, to wrap up our conversation on, because people say, well, if you create this environment where schools are now being forced to have to perform, I mean, what would happen to a school that that can't? It would close. What, What would that mean? Well, that would mean that the bad restaurant serving the terrible food is no longer serving the terrible food and poisoning people. Conversely, it would also suggest that those restaurants that are mediocre and have gotten away with being mediocre for years because there was no competition, all of a sudden now are being forced to rise to the occasion. They're going to have to improve the, the curriculum. They're going to have to improve their standards. They're going to have to make sure that a teacher who comes in and, and gets tenured doesn't sit there uh, for the next 40 years with a guaranteed job and not have to work to educate the children in his or her classroom. It's called accountability. And most importantly, we need to be accountable to the kind of education that we provide our children because failure to do so, just imagine these kids are going to grow up and be the next set of governors and senators and even presidents. Do you want somebody uneducated occupying those offices, making the decisions over you in your old age, or do you want the best and the brightest? If you like the best and the brightest, then giving parents the ability to choose just simply makes sense. Brian, again, share that um, website, if you would, for folks to get more information about the petition. Absolutely, and I want to thank you for having me on. My name is Pastor Brian Hawkins. Uh, that website is CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. You can go on there. You can download the petition. You can get people to sign it. We need to get that on the ballot here in California. We can change the public school system. We get that on the ballot. I'm running for Congress. I'm going there to help change Title One and how that funding works. We can do a cross up and down. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer in Christ. And this is an awesome opportunity to change how our children are learning and what they're learning. So if we want to take back that power and make sure our children aren't being indoctrinated, this is the petition that you need to be signing. CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And our thanks to Pastor Brian Hawkins for that update on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The push, as you are probably aware, to make California a so-called abortion sanctuary state is one that is going to create, well, create a troubling and confusing state of affairs, to be sure, and that's an understatement. As we've seen more and more states restrict sex selection, 
uh, abortion up until you know <laughs> nine months gestation practically. I mean, it's 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 ludicrous how how broad the laws have been in so many states. And so, as as more and more the push towards protecting life is becoming a reality across the country. Uh, these folks with Planned Parenthood are looking for alternatives. And, of course, sadly, California, wide open arms come here. Um, And all the more reason why, as we see some on the far left pushing to create an abortion sanctuary state here in California, Mm -hmm. just yesterday uh, made mention about the fact that Citibank is going to provide to all of its employees who reside in states outside of California um, not only round-trip airfare, but hotel accommodation. So if they live in, say, Texas and want an abortion and they're a bank employee with Citibank, they will pay to fly them to California at bank expense and will even pay for their housing while they're here to receive their abortion. Can you imagine that? Think about that next time you drop a deposit check off at Citibank. any rate, that's the reason why we need to stand and make sure that women fully understand what their real options are, that it's not just abortion, but there's many other options out there, and that there are people that care and are here to support them. One such organization, of course, is Real Options with medical centers all across the Bay Area. Joining me now with an update is Sean Barrett who is with Community Outreach and Development on behalf of Real Options. And, Sean, as always, good to have you with us. Oh, my pleasure. And every time you introduce like that and I hear the news of companies like Citibank, my heart just drops and my heart rate goes up. (laughs) But thankfully we have... uh, Somebody like you getting the news out. Well, I appreciate that, Sean. And and these are issues that uh, that you know uh, most naturally is either going to increase the heart rate or cause your 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 heart to drop to your stomach. And you know if there was ever a time in California, as I suggest, to stand up for life, this is certainly it. And if there were ever organizations that helped do just that in standing up for life, standing most importantly with women during a time that can be very frightening, very confusing, lots of questions, sadly often not a lot of answers, but Real Options is there to provide those answers. And tell us a bit more about the organization, and most importantly for listeners that say, yeah, you know what, Sean, Craig, I agree, this is a travesty, I want to do something to make a difference, how can I get involved? Yeah, well, real, you know, with real options, we have, like you said, five medical clinics here in the Bay Area, and we offer um, pregnancy verification and uh, viability testing for those um, who are coming in, and they may be undecided, they may be very um, prone for an abortion, but we're here to give them the real information and to um, help them come up with um, a decision based on their values. And we love the patient. We love the women and men who come in. And, you know, we are always looking for people who can help with um, our efforts. And we also provide not only clinic services, but education for students and pregnancy loss healing opportunities as well. And, you know, folks that want to get involved and volunteer, there's so many ways in which they can do it. Um, You don't have to be an expert on this subject matter by any means. Um, You can just be somebody who's got some time to give. And uh, toward that end, when we talk about engaging in volunteerism, give us a look as to what, what exactly that looks like, what that entails. 
Well, we have a, um, this is a great time for us. This is the first time in a couple of years we've had a volunteer event. And on April 2nd, in the morning, 9 a.m. to noon, Real Options is having an event called Discover Real Options. And this is an event that you don't want to miss if you are considering volunteering and giving time to a worthy organization. The morning uh, event will start with a very interactive tour of the clinics so that each attendee will learn about um, how we serve our patients in a very holistic way. They will get a chance to follow the experience and story of one of our patients. First, from our patient services manager who will describe what happens in the consultation room, the conversation, how it goes, and then on to a visit with our nurse and they'll have an opportunity to see an ultrasound and learn and really have a greater understanding about a patient's experience in our clinics. And then from there, we'll have our ministry leaders share about our HOPE program, which is our pregnancy loss program, our education program, campus outreach, community outreach, and then Valerie Hill, as your listeners know well, We'll share our vision, our purpose, and a bit about the biblical basis for our ministry and the sanctity of life. And then she'll share a few testimonial videos from our patients and local pastors. Great. And then give them a chance to kind of get a, a broad overview as to the areas of need. And, you know, when you think of volunteerism, don't think about, oh, my goodness, I'm taking on a, an unpaid full-time job here. It doesn't have to be 40 hours a week. It can be, you know, four hours uh, once a week, a couple of hours here and there, uh, based on the flexibility of your schedule. It just depends on your availability and, and how involved you'd like to be. And, Sean, for folks that like to get more information about that particular workshop or overall to learn more about volunteer opportunities and support opportunities and standing with real options where can they go to get details so they can go to friendsofrealoptions.net or they can send an email and we'll communicate with them directly outreach at realoptions.net will work also Excellent. And again, an easy thing, because we mentioned it often, is friendsofrealoptions.net. Get more information about not only standing with the ministry, but also learn more about how you can be a volunteer and make a difference. Our thanks to Sean Beretta, Community Outreach and Development Manager with Real Options. Again, online at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. It's 6 o'clock from KFAX. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.